This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Matt Chernoff from 680 The Fans, Chuck and Chernoff Show here. And I want to say thanks for listening to today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. You can find it on Apple, Spotify, and all your favorite podcast apps. Chase Thomas went to Parkview in North Georgia. He's a local Atlanta kid, and he won't let the Luca versus Trey thing go. He interned with us back in the day, and you'll always remember him. Anyway, definitely go check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com, where you can find all of Chase's previous episodes, all of his articles, and do him a solid. Leave him a rating and review if you're an Apple Podcast listener. Reminder to listen to our show, Chuck and Chernoff, Monday through Friday, 3 to 7 on 680 The Fan, and subscribe to my podcast as well. Welcome to Atlanta, wherever you get your podcasts. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right. Good afternoon, and welcome to another episode of the Chase Thomas podcast. I am now joined by the Ringers, Jonathan Sharks. Jonathan, good afternoon. How are you doing? I'm good, man. How are you doing? I am good. Um, you know what's funny is the first time I heard you was on that uh, BS podcast a couple years ago with. I, the worst landline I've ever heard in my life, Jonathan. So I'm I'm very glad that uh, we have improved on that front thus far. <laughs> I thought they took that out. Did they? Were they? Like, ah, the quality is so bad. Well, maybe they did, and I guess they went live. I don't. They're getting abused for that for a while. They <laughs> set me up with some better stuff now, so it's all good. I like it. I like it. Well, you're one of my favorite basketball writers. Um, but I have a question for you. Do you have a smartphone? Sure. Yeah, I got one a few years ago. I had to get into the 21st century, unfortunately. Okay. Because the way you tweet and everything else, like the email, don't at me. I like it. You're kind of an off-the-grid basketball writer. I respect it. I, oh, I like yeah. It. My wife runs my account for me, so I don't even ha- like see it. Are you serious? I haven't I haven't been on Twitter in years, yeah. So she, I send Twitter her my link and, and she tweets it out for me, yeah. <laughs> that sounds amazing, um, not being on Twitter. I'm telling years. you. I tell people all the time it's the best. But no one ever listens. What are you going to do? I like it. I like it. Well, um, speaking of people who didn't listen, um, people did not listen in Atlanta when uh, Luka Doncic fell into their laps and uh, could have just had Luka Doncic for 10 plus years. And uh, they went a different route and they traded Luka Doncic. But that is, uh, maybe we'll get into that in a little bit. But Is that where you're from or something? <sighs> yes. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm still not, still not doing well with the Luka trade. Trade. It's not. It's not going well. Hey, Trey's pretty good. Whatever. Trey's great. Trey is great, and the way I look at it is that like none of it's his fault. None of it is should be placed at his just at his doorstep. Like he did not ask for that. It's not his fault that he was traded for that. It's not Cam Reddish's fault that he's a huge piece of this. Like none of it is their fault. Um, they're going to be great. I, I mean, it goes back yeah. into with the draft in general, right? None of these players pick themselves in the draft. You know? Sure. <laughs> And he's still the second best player in the draft, and it's really not close. Like he's, uh, oh, oh no. Who do you have above Trey in that draft? Jaron Jackson. Mm. 
That's fair. I just different positions, obviously, but I I'm just scared. I'm always hesitant to. I don't know where you're at with this, but bigs. I just think they're only a couple that I could place where I'm like, yeah, they'll have the ball in their hands enough on and do enough on both ends where it's like, yeah, their values. Well, bigger. I think the hope with Jaron is that he becomes that guy. Really? I don't okay. know if you saw him before the bubble, before the injury. There was a game against the Blazers where he like had two or three drives from the three point line to the rim where he just dunked it on like two like two steps. I think like so he's twenty now because with bigs it takes a long. You're talking like six seven years. I think when he's like twenty seven, the hope is he's developed a full on dribble drive game because he's just so big already. He can shoot so well that he doesn't need to have like a great crossover, right? Just throw the shot, two dribbles, get to a shot wherever you want. I think he has it in his game eventually. Interesting. So, do you think Bam's also on that trajectory, or is there is that like the new... Bam is way Bam is way ahead of him. Okay. Bam is already a ball handler. Like he's got that in his game already. Is this the new trend? Is this what teams are going to want from their bigs? I think so. I think you see it in this year's playoffs. It's all about. The trend, I think, broadly, very, very broadly, is you just kind of have skill and speed and shooting at all five positions. If you have a five-man who can make plays off the dribble, it really changes your whole offense. You saw with the Lakers when they moved off JaVale and Dwight and put AD at the five. I mean, see with Jokic and Denver, it just makes your offense way more diverse and unpredictable. Yeah. I just wonder if there's going to be a point where there is... 30 of those guys like if every team can have one because most teams would kill to have the right kind of wing who can be a point for most guy. most teams would love to have a dual combo guard situation like dame and cj i would say so i think you know it's, like, it's kind of like it's like saying i wish there's a point where well all 30 teams have point guards you could dribble right as <laughs> yeah. the game gets more advanced as skills seem to progress and evolve you guys can see more and more players because like young players watch happening in the league now and they change their games to adapt to it, right? So like 10, 15, 20, I think like players getting more and more skilled. I don't see that slowing down. If anything is going to speed up, then yeah, eventually, right? Like NBA 2035, like being able to dribble and make plays off the dribble, it's going to be like shooting a layup. It's just that everyone has to have that in their game. 2035. Wow. I don't want to think about that far in advance, but it's really not that crazy. Yeah, I've, I've, I just had a son, so I'm already thinking about being in the league in 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's a different thing. Like, I don't even want to think about, like, graduation. So he would graduate when? What year would this be? 2038, 20, 20, 2039, probably. That is insane. I don't want to think about that. I do not want to think about that, Jonathan. We're getting old. Um, having, having kids will make you realize how old you are. I can tell you that. <laughs> um but there are worse things there are worse things um but so congratulations on that front um so luca i want to talk and get your perspective on luca and porzingis and what they're building there are they ahead of the curve so this is a two-part are they ahead of the curve right now in dallas and also is are we reaching the point where luca this is the best he's going to be here is there other things that he's going to get to that you expect him to get to um in the coming years I mean, I think he still has areas of his game to improve, right? And I think you it's probably you can assume that he will improve them, but this there's never a guarantee, right? I think he only shot thirty two percent from three this year, thirty one maybe. Right? If he can get that to like thirty six, thirty seven percent, get in better shape, 
keep working on his defense. I actually think the biggest thing for Luca is he's going to reach a point where it's, do I want to maximize my own stats or do I want to win a championship? Right. And by that point, I mean next summer, because next summer the Mavs will have max cap space. Who do you want to right. see? Right. You want to sign? Um, his name rhymes with Dada Kumpo. <laughs> <laughs> so, right, like if you go back to 2016, when when Steph wanted to sign KD, what did KD ask him? He said, "You want me to come here? Cannot. Like, are you cool with us sharing the ball? Essentially, right? So, if Luca wants to get another superstar ball handler on his team, he's got to want to give the ball up." Otherwise, it's supposed to be James Harden. He'll put up he'll like MVPs, put up Mondo numbers, and then not have enough help in the playoffs. So to me, really, the biggest thing is Luca playing off the ball. And that's what he did at Spain a lot when he was like at Real Madrid. He used to play with like um, Sergio. Here's a, here's a deep cut. Sergio Yule. Okay. So this is a guy the Rockets drafted a long time ago. Played for Team Spain forever. Not Never Sergio went to the league. No. So Sergio, I think he played in Real Madrid too. I don't even remember. Yeah, but like thought, Luca yeah. would play off the ball, off the ball with that guy. So this year in Dallas, if you look at like the the leaderboard for touches and stuff, Luca was number one by a mile in terms of how much he holds the ball, how much he dribbles the ball, all that kind of stuff. And to me, like the best version of Luca in terms of it's really like, is it the best version of Luca in terms of maximizing his production? or the best version of Luka in terms of winning championships. If it's the latter, I think it's playing off the ball, giving up the ball a little bit. If it's the former, it's working a three-point shot, making it back more reliable, whatever. Whatever he wants to do, he's just that good that whatever he wants to do, he'll be able to do. So what do you think ultimately happens there? I don't know. I mean, it's up, it, he's a young guy. It's hard to say how he's gonna want, what he's going to want in his life. You know? I don't think Giannis is going to Dallas. That would maybe, maybe not. That would floor me, and that's like one of those. And it's an interesting thing about like the Steph KD thing, the LeBron Dwayne Wade thing. Where, as a fan, do you think most Mavs fans would want Luca at this point to share in the spotlight and have to give that up that quickly? Because Steph still was the guy for several years before KD came to town, and Dwayne Wade would still already want a title in Miami before LeBron came to town. Like, I wonder. If there is, I, th- I think they Mavs fans would be cool with it. Okay, you get those two fools on the same team. I mean, come on. I don't know if I want it. Like, I want to see what Luke. I, I think I'd wait for a couple more years. I don't want Luca to team up with anybody really uh, uh, until like we really see what he's at. But then you're like, yeah, well, then he's just James Harden, and then it's gonna be really hard for him to adjust if he's playing this way for seven years, and then a superstar wants to come play with him. Like then it's already set in motion, right? I mean, I remember. You look at what Giannis said. Yeah, I remember when they were picking teams for the All-Star game? And yes. Giannis was like, I want someone who can pass the ball. Mm-hmm. And he didn't pick Harden. Like, <laughs> once you have that rep of a guy who holds the ball a lot, it's hard to get that. It's hard to get past that, right? You have to be... Guys want to play with guys who share the ball. Especially elder elite players. That's what makes KP really good for the Mavs, though, for now. KP is really good without the ball in his hands. So that works well with Luka. Well, this is good news for Trey, then. Why is that? I mean, Trey wants to share the ball. Like, Trey will move the ball around, and he is someone that will find you good looks wherever you can. It's different, though. It's different, though. It's not about, like, passing. It's about giving up passes. 
Does that make sense? Like Trey holds as much as Luca does. Yeah. Right. It's not about like trying to get triple doubles. It's like Steph only averaged six assists, I think, in Golden State the last couple of years before mm-hmm. Katie left. Right. So it's just about more about will you let someone else get the shine as more than anything else? And like, cause like, yeah, Trey and Luca will find the open man a hundred times out of a hundred. Like, can they play off the ball so somebody else can find them? That's a whole different skill set. That's true. And that was something I've written about a lot during this year where Trey has to do so much where those lineups, when he's sitting, they just are torpedoed and like he is just no backup point guard. He didn't really play with anybody. They wouldn't let like Kevin Herter's injury and stuff where I just said that like ultimately they're going to have to trust either Hunter or Herter or Reddish to figure it out and go through their lumps being a ball handler, being a secondary ball handler and finding Trey because if they don't, like you said, it, it's the James Harden thing all over again because then he's just too used to it. Then he is just the guy who always has the ball and there's just so much gravity around him that he doesn't well, it's, trust it's, anybody. Yeah, it's one of those things, like, I think if you look at it, the person who's won the MVP in the last, like, 20 years has won a title, like, four times or five times. It's like a two different conversations, right? How does MVP always go? It always goes who is the player who does the most for his team to win, right? That's always his conversation to go. This guy does more for that team. He has less help. And like, yeah, having less help can win you MVP awards, but it can help you win a championship, obviously. I like it. So when you look at what the Mavs are still weak in, and like the honest stuff is obviously the most tantalizing of all of this, but like, are you comfortable with what they're building? Are you comfortable with what they've surrounded Luca with so far? Like, who are the more realistic targets or the realistic options on this roster? And who do you think is part of this long-term core? Who's not? Like, what what are you thinking here? Uh, I mean, I think a lot of the they've built a really good team around Luca. I think a lot of the guys they fit their roles well. I mean, they've really done a great job of where the team was last year. They had a bunch of guys veterans didn't want to share with Luca, didn't want to play defense. But the, I think the question is going to be like, you need more athletic ability on the wings to guard. Right? You just need more length and athleticism. But you also need another ball handler too. So it's like finding a guy who can do both, like finding one more all-star. That's going to be the challenge. Cause I think usually for the most part, it's one or the other, right? If you find someone who can help Luca play off the ball, that guy's probably not going to be an elite defender too. And if you find someone who's an elite defender, that guy's probably not going to be able to run the off, have the offense run through him. So that's, it's finding somebody who can do both and basically finding one more all-star. Would you want Bradley Beal? Yeah, of course. Okay. Of course. You don't worry but about not the, defender, the, off- the defensive limitations of building around. That would, see, that, would, that would be a concern for sure. Not a defender. Yeah. That's a concern. Yeah. That's what I wonder. It's just like who, because you, you love the idea because they're already number one in offensive efficiency. Where like, if you add another all-star, generally speaking, that all-star will be an elite offensive player and they're already elite offensively. And you're like, well, but see, I would say that's not the way to look at it. Okay. You look at like, because you look at the Mavs in crunch time this year they were really bad is because teams could load up on Luca and he took like step in the threes. Clippers series In the Clippers series, Trey Burke was like huge for them because mm. he gave them a second guy gets the room and make plays. So I still think that type of player is necessary, even though efficiency, whatever. I mean, at a certain point, 
you got to be efficient, but at a certain point, it doesn't really matter anymore. You got to be versatile. I think this this year's playoffs, I think, are the ultimate proof of that. Right? The Bucks were the ultimate efficiency team, but they weren't versatile. Like going home. Would you keep KP a part of this core long term? Yeah, I mean, I think he's great. He'd be a great number three. He'd be a, he'd be a great Clay Thompson with Luke and somebody else because mm. KP does not need the ball to score. He can score really. He's seven foot three, elite shooter. He doesn't need He can like get the ball like twelve times a game and score twenty points. I do worry about his defense, but I think if you have enough athletic ability around him, his lack of mobility can be kind of game plan but around, kind mm-hmm. of like how Denver does Jokic. So to me, yeah, I keep him around for sure. He's a great. He's also a little bit more. He's a little older than Luca. He's kind of a little better with the media, better in the locker room. I mean, Luca's still growing in a lot. That's the other thing too. Talking about what Luca has to grow in. Luca really right now he's kind of got that young. Luca kind of has like the freshman on varsity energy, if you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Right, he's just a young. He's his whole life he's been the young kid who's like amazing and just kind of sticks to himself and does his thing. But eventually he has to become the leader of the team, right? He has to demand accountability. He has to help. He has to tell the coach with matchups. He has to do all that kind of stuff. The stuff that LeBron does, right? Luca's going to get that's that's really more the growth of anything too. Is just the ability to grow off the court as a leader. And that'll take time on it. He's so young. We also don't know. He just might not be that guy. Like James Harden still never became that guy. Some people just don't. True. That's true. Yeah. Where people are just, that's like one of the things with veterans where it's like, oh, he's young. And then at some point he won't be young. And then you're like, well, maybe he was just this person all along. That you, we just all ex- expect just progress to be linear, both on the court and off the court that's forever. True. And it's just, it's not how things work. And some people just don't develop like that. Or some people just stop at year two. Some people stop at year one. Some people have this weird spark at year seven. And I don't know. I, I think when people That's what it, makes yeah. this, this business kind of difficult, right? None of us mm-hmm. are fortune tellers. We're all just projecting and guessing. And it also would trend. be fun if we were always right about everything. Like if you were it's right true. about all of your pieces, if everything was perfect, you'd be like, wow, this is kind of boring. I, this, why am I doing this? For sure. I mean, I think that's why I enjoy the draft so much. Mm-hmm. The draft is the ultimate, like it's such a challenge to kind of figure out. It's, always, it's just a mental, it's very difficult to do even adequately. And it just takes a lot of thought thinking, a lot of problem solving, pattern matching. I find that very interesting, for sure. Do you think the draft's going to be harder this year for teams more so than in recent years? You know, I've been talking to people about that around the league, and they're actually telling me the harder draft is going to be next year's draft. Huh. Because this year's draft, they've gotten, like, yeah, there's no workouts, but they had most, no tournament, but they had most of the season. They've had all those years to watch film. But like this summer, there's no AAU ball. There's none of these all-star camps. These are big parts of the normal pre-draft process that are gone. College basketball, who knows what's even going to happen with that? There's just much less information about the next year's crop of guys than about this year's crop of guys. Hmm. Are you a LaMelo ball and Minnesota believer? Um, not really. He's questionable defensively with Kat and D'Angelo. It's going to be really tough. I can, and then it's a matter of like, does the Yams want to play off the ball? Because if you get Lamelo, he has to have the ball in his hand. That's just a given. So, not really. No, I guess I'm not. Hmm. This is like I don't know. This is a weird draft, and like the Hawks obviously had no luck, and I don't even know what they're gonna do. What would you do if you were in the Hawks? What are, where are they? Are they at six? Yeah, I think they're at six. 
I would probably take Halliburton. Mm. I think he's just the kind of guy the Hawks need. I actually, I profiled him back in like November. Mm. I just think he's the perfect guy for the Hawks. Plays off the ball, secondary playmaker, great defender, great culture guy. Everybody loves him. I mean, I so just John think Collins he would really do wonders. This, in, this, in this scenario. Not because I think he'll be there at six, most likely. No, I'm saying John Collins out. is gone at that point. Why? I mean, you cannot, like, Capella's on the books for three more years. You already have Capella. Yeah. I don't believe, like, when you have DeAndre Hunter, Cam Reddish, you both need to close, and they both need to get in that closing rotation. You have Herter, you have Trey. There's only so many spots for growth, and I I don't know how you keep all of those guys and get them enough minutes to actually grow. Like, they're gonna, there's going to come a point, and I also don't know if DeAndre Hunter's just not a four. Like, I think he might just be a four in today's NBA. And if that's the case. I think that's yeah. right. I, I I thought he was Harrison Barnes. Yeah. I thought that's always the comp for him. And you always trade up for Harrison Barnes in the draft. Always. Well, it's done now. Water under the bridge. <laughs> but you know what's interesting? I asked Josh Passner about like who the hardest uh of course the Hawks would trade up for DeAndre Header and trade away Luka Doncic. Um I I asked Josh Passner though about like who um the most difficult player he's ever had to game plan for as a coach in college. You yeah. know what his answer was? Who? DeAndre Hunter. I mean, he's a mismatch four at the college level. It's hard to guard a player like that, right? He's got the size of most college bigs, and he can score off the dribble. I get it. It was kind of wild. I heard I that, guess, and I was like, wow, okay. I mean, aren't you? I guess the question is, can Collins play some five? Like, that's when he was always the risk of the yeah. thing Schlenk was doing, of the Golden State thing, because Collins ain't Draymond Green. No. Right? But he's a, he's a good player, though. I think they don't have enough talent. And I'm not too worried about Capella. He, he's whatever. Capella's a starter for defense and rebounding and stuff. But you're paying him a lot of money. I'm sure he's close game. Yeah, but at the end, there's still minutes for everyone. I mean, they don't have a team that's overflowing with talent. Yeah, they got like, a lot of young guys, but you need seven guys to play 30 minutes a game. There's no True. other spots for everyone for now. Too many young guys. It's nervous. I don't know how they all develop. I don't know if there's enough. It's, a, it's an interesting question for sure. I'm just always nervous about teams when they're like, every team around the league where people just assume, okay, we have all this draft capital, we have all these lottery picks, and they're all going to grow. Look at Sacramento, look at, I mean, there's teams all across the board, Phoenix, where it's just like... See, but I would say, like, Atlanta's guys fit, like, the logic of the moves makes sense, right? You have Trey, you've got a bunch of big wings who can shoot, Mm. some of them can guard, you got a bull man and Collins. That's why I think Halliburton be perfect. Halliburton is a very, very low usage player. Mm. He could probably be at like 12 or 13 usage. He's just a very unselfish player. He, he's Halliburton's a perfect gap guy. He fills in the gaps. Hmm. And I think at Atlanta, he'd be perfect for that. He could run the, he could run the ball and the tray is out. He can play off tray when trays in. He can guard, guard both backcourt positions. Very unselfish. I mean, I think the more I think about it, he's the guy for Atlanta. If I'm Atlanta, he was the guy I'd be targeting for sure. I like it. Um, Mike D'Antoni. And he won't need the ball either. That's the thing. Like yeah. most top six picking the ball, he won't need the ball. Don't be to shoot him. I like he's very it. unselfish because he's not going to get the ball if he wants it in Atlanta. Too many, no. too many people already in the too many cooks in the kitchen already. Like it's not happening. Um, when you look at D'Antoni leaving the Rockets, what was your first thought? Oh, it's been, everyone knew it was going to happen. I mean, it probably needed to happen at this point. Like, so around the league, people were expecting it. 
Yeah, that's why I, I have heard people talking about D'Antoni. I talked, reported that like last month. D'Antoni, the Pacers, has been talked about for a long time. Basically, because like D'Antoni and the owner got in a big beef last summer. Well, D'Antoni's agent did. The owner wouldn't extend him. And like, you don't like Nautics and the coach like D'Antoni. Been in the league, what, 25, 30 years or whatever. That was very disrespectful to not extend him like that and make him play out the last year of his contract. Because like, just look at this way. You never see a coach just leave a team. Right, because usually they're under contract. A team had to fire a coach. The Rockets to be in fired and telling he just left because his deal was up. That never happens in the NBA ever, especially for a coach's pedigree. You always extend those guys in the last year of their deal, and they didn't do that. Once it happened, it was over. There was no way he was coming back. Who would you replace him with in Houston? Oh man, does it even matter? Probably. Yeah, I think so. I think okay. you want to bring in someone who can relate to Harden, hold him accountable on defense. Basically, I would bring in someone who's not afraid of Harden Russ. Because D'Antoni is very non-confrontational. Very non-confrontational. He's not, like, D'Antoni is the coach. If you want to let Harden do whatever he wants, and he'll just empower Harden to do anything he feels like. At this point, though, we've seen how far it's going to take you. You need a coach going to make Harden play defense, move off the ball, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So whoever's going to do that, everything else has been tried. Coach holds hard and accountable. So Jonathan so probably wants player. Kevin McHale back. That's that's what we're hearing here. <laughs> I would say probably a younger player. Mm. Everyone, like People are talking about Sam Cassell. That makes sense to me. He played in Houston. A little bit of connection there. Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't he's a, he's a, yeah, he's younger. He could probably like the hard and better than McHale. McHale's old attack, obviously. Yeah, I, uh, I don't see James Harden and Kevin McHale um, getting along and uh, all the great stuff. Um, I I wonder about the D'Antonian Pacers thing because, like, the Pacers are, like, a, a low-key, like, what are we – are we sure they're going to keep this all together this summer thing? Like, the Victor Oladipo leaving before the end of the game and him maybe not being happy in Indy. Like, is that something where if you bring in D'Antoni, he's like, oh, I'm going to put up MVP numbers – Next year with Dan Tony, me and Brogdon are going to run the floor. We're just going to drive and kick, drive and kick, and I'm just going to have a crazy usage, and I'm just going to be able I mean, to... that's what you're going to sell him on, right? I've, yeah. I have heard that him and McMillan... I mean, it makes sense, right? Like, McMillan's system is not going to maximize the numbers of the chess players. You know, it's very slow, a lot of post touches, two big men, mid-range jump shots. If you're Oladipo, it's not really going to boost your profile. So... If he is going to stay, it'd be the best way to make him do it. It makes sense to me. Interesting. Yeah, I um, I think it'd be a lot more fun. And I'm also a big old deep guy and a big Pacers, Pacers truther, Jonathan. I, they got uh, a lot of talent. A lot of talent. They don't play any bad players. Their rotation is always going to be someone either really good, solid, or does one thing really well. Their rotation never has a I bad think- player in it. The thing they would do is probably trade Turner for a wing, be my guess. Mm. Which wouldn't be the worst. Really, thing. make the make the trade that the Hawks made, basically, the other <laughs> way. The other way, I like it. Um, do you think the Nuggets are close? They, I mean, they're playing the Clippers. Tired thought they would. They're stacked. Um, I do wonder about their defense if you're talking about winning a title. But yeah. if they beat the Clippers, man, that speaks for itself. I still have my doubts that they're going to beat the Clippers, but I wonder. Do you? I wonder if this tension between Michael Porter Jr. and Jokic and Murray continues. Like, I wonder. It will. 100% if, it will. Yeah. And That's if it does, it does, then who do they pick? Probably the guys. 
It kind of reminds me of OKC. Mm. Remember when they had, yeah. obviously, when they had Moran Hart or Westbrook? In the end, they picked the, they picked the older guys and they traded off the younger one. I'd imagine eventually that's going to happen. Yeah, I think it's an under-talked about thing where I don't see these three playing basketball together in Denver like three years from now. I think that... Probably not. That's wild, but that's my biggest concern with them is if they pull the trigger too late on moving him and don't get enough in return. Like, at some point... I, I mean, I think if he's healthy, you'll get plenty of value in return. If they pull the trigger too early, so OKC did. Yeah. If they had waited one more season to try hard and probably get a lot more for him. What is their best closing five next year do you think if you could how about denver yeah denver how would you close with them uh probably just um murray harris porter grant Jokic. Okay. so you got so grant two defenders yeah i think so he's a great defensive player he can shoot threes he's proven that this year you need a guy who's long and athletic next to Jokic to cover for him on defense a bit cover for porter a bit He's going to guard toughest guy on the opposing team. He's guarding Kawhi in the second round series. He'd probably guard LeBron in the next round if they make it, right? I think that, I think that piece is very important for them, for sure. I think Harris is just like sneaky, crazy important too now. Uh, if he ever figures out his shot that um, fell off in the last two years, um, that'd, be, that'd be great. He's got to stay healthy. He's been, hurt, he's been hurt a lot. Yeah. Um, last thing, and we'll wrap up here. Um, when you were looking at... The Eastern Conference Finals, you're looking at Jimmy in this heat offense versus Boston and the way they play. What are you looking at? Like, what are the X's and O's that uh, fascinate you the most about this series? I think, A, the BAM matchup. Mm-hmm. Like, theoretically, BAM should be able to score on their bigs pretty easily, right? Just in terms of pure size and speed. But I feel like BAM is more of a distributor mainly. But I think in this series, you want Bam getting like 20, 25 a night. Like, I like Daniel Tice. He's a good player, but he shouldn't be able to guard Bam one-on-one. If he can do that, I think that gives Miami a huge edge. And then you're talking about Butler versus Tatum. That's going to be an awesome one-on-one matchup, right? That's kind of like Tatum's the young guy coming up. Butler's he's ready for his chance, right? He knows he doesn't have any left. He's got to maximize it. And you look at Boston, right? So Boston, two years ago, they lose to LeBron. Boston last year lose to Giannis. Now they got to play Jimmy Butler. Because they got, like, Tatum and Brown normally win their wing matchups. But against Miami, will they? I don't know. I think Butler versus Tatum is going to be an awesome matchup. I'm looking forward to that. Who guards Jalen? Let's say Jimmy will guard Tatum. I mean, you might see Bam on him if they have. I don't mm. know. Jalen, maybe. Bam could do it. Uh, let's see. Start. Probably, no, I'll probably Crowder starts on him for sure. Okay. And you get Iguodala to try him later or Bam. But I would say Crowder starts on him. Jimmy starts on Tatum. Okay. I I think we're going to get a lot of nut in this series on uh, Kemba, right? I don't, I don't know. Okay. I feel like Hero's kind of surpassed him now. Hero was balling in the end of that series. He Can Hero really handle Kemba? Work. But I would think he'd put Hero on Smart, maybe. Okay. And then you put it, that that'll be an interesting thing. It's like how they guard Kemba. And mm-hmm. then you have Dragic. The question is like, okay, because Dragic can't guard Kemba, mm-hmm. but can Kemba mm-hmm. guard Dragic, right? It goes both ways. If you're a Boston fan, when you would you want Hayward to come back in this series? For sure. Okay. I mean, you could look at their depth. After their top five guys, it falls off real hard, real fast. Not a big Brad Wanamaker guy. 
Jonathan Sharks. Oh, he's fine. <laughs> but yeah, like Hayward was great in a smaller role this year. I, I think the numbers are like he had like a 22 usage rate. Mm. He really played off played off the other guys, moved the ball, spotted up. He was really, he seems to kind of embrace a smaller role. That's probably more his speed anyways, not being the man. So I think it'd be fine. Obviously, you have to come back and be in a good rhythm. That'll be tough to do in the middle of the series. But I think having, you always want to have more big wings you can shoot and defend, right? That's just a given in any series. How do you think it ultimately plays out? I give I give Miami the edge for now. Really? I think I think having I think Jimmy I think he'll be tough for Boston. I just I think Tatum still has room to improve. I think it'll be a tough series for him. I think the Bam matchup. I think the Bam matchup. I think he's a little bigger than Siakam, right? Because you could put Jalen on Siakam and shut him down. I think Bam's got an extra twenty twenty five pounds. I think that's going to work as well this time. So I I give Miami a very slight edge. Okay. Who do you give the edge in the Clippers Lakers series if that's what we get? I've been thinking the Clippers would win all season, but they're they're struggling, man, against the Nuggets. Like, let's get them out of that series first. We're worry about the Lakers. I guess when will this come out? Uh, this, this is podcast. coming out today. So we're doing this. Okay, so we're doing this before the game starts yes. tonight. No, we get for the game tomorrow. Oh man, I've thought the Clippers had the edge all year, but. I think what really concerned for me is how badly Montrez is playing and how badly Doc is managing the rotation. Like I was, I had faith in Doc, but now I'm look, I've been going back and looking at Doc's history. It's not that um, encouraging in the playoffs. His teams seem to always take forever to win series. They blow leads a lot, and I think you see it in this Denver series. Doc has not made any adjustments really. He keeps putting Montrez on Jokic, and going to end one way. So next round, I get the mantra on AD. That's not going to work either, probably. So I picked the Clippers to start of the playoffs to win it all. So I'll stick with that. But I'm not losing, I'm not having too much conflict on pick right now. It should be an awesome series if it comes to it. I can't shake the Lakers. I I I would be pretty shocked at this point if the Lakers don't win the title. Um, They've been the best team so far for sure. I just want Miami in the the NBA finals because how Pat Riley reacts and how he operates this off season, if they make the finals and like lose four one to Lakers, but just getting to the finals with this core, what he does is going to be extremely, you know, you know what he's doing. He's already put that out there. What he's doing. I mean, he's going to do something, even if he can't get Giannis or somebody like, like, does he just offer some kind of crazy to Indy for Victor Oladipo? I think he, no, I don't think so. I think he's playing the long game. He's playing with everybody else. Mm. I think he looks at Giannis thing, so this is my next LeBron. Interesting. And that'd be great. I, I Sorry, Bucks fans. I, I very much like Giannis and Jimmy Butler on the same basketball team. That would be very great. It'd be interesting, for sure. I don't uh, know, it'd be weird to be honest, him, Jimmy, and Bam, but it'd be interesting. Probably wins a title. I mean, wherever Giannis goes, that's kind of like, you know... KD and Kawhi and LeBron, they all had their kind of free agency moment. Now it's his moment coming up. Whatever he does, shake the whole league. Jonathan Charks, it's been great talking basketball with you this afternoon. What can we check out from you on TheRinger.com this week? Oh, just we're doing Ringer NBA show. I'm on the group chat, the Wednesday show. We've kind of got a playoff blog going. I usually drop a blog post first thing in the morning, going over whatever happened the night before, and then I'll have articles as well. So just check everything out at ringer.com. Go do it. Um, at Jonathan Sharks on Twitter. He's always, always looking for your tweets. 
go do that. Um, he's he's not doing that. So if you add him, he's he's not going to see him. Um, yeah, shoot me an email. That's how you got hold of me. So. Perfect, perfect. Well, Jonathan, I appreciate the time today. You have a great rest of your week, sir. Yeah, thanks for having me on, man. This is Ben Ingram, radio voice of the Atlanta Braves, and I'm here to tell you that you've reached the end of today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. As a friend of the podcast, I'd like to say thank you for listening to today's episode and hope you return for the next one. To show your support for the program, tell a friend or coworker or even a family member about the program. And if you're an Apple Podcast listener, leave the show a rating and a review. It goes a long way. That'll do it for me. But don't forget to listen to myself and the rest of the team at 680 The Fan and the Braves Radio Network this season. Go Braves! Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.